This is the Beyond the Dojo podcast. I'm Lauren. I'm Jeremiah. And to kick off today's episode, we are going to share some of our favorite moments from this week's sparring class. We uh, we started doing a uh, last last class of the month sparring last night. Last Thursday night. Yeah, is is, uh, is our fight night or sparring night. Yeah. Well, that was obviously my idea. But uh Huh? What? Um so that uh, it was my idea. It was? Yeah, cuz I suck at sparring and I need the, <laughs> need the reps. <laughs> you don't remember us having this conversation? Pretty sure it was my idea. Okay. Well, the uh, reason we're doing it is so that everybody gets the reps in. Yeah. So, because um, I, I kind of feel like, personally, uh, I had started sparring too late. But, mm. um, anyhow, so this Thursday we had our fight yeah. night. Yeah. So, what's one of your favorite moments from our fight night? Um. Okay, I'll share one of mine. We'll kind of go back and forth a couple times. <laughs> or once. <laughs> Jeremiah didn't have any favorite moments. Um, um. I haven't gotten to participate until now coming back from um, maternity leave and I sparred against Rob mm. and Rob like starts off slow but then like gets really hyped up and then starts going kind of fast mm-hmm. and it's okay but we're doing like slow sparring um, anyway and um, he he's trying all kinds of different stuff and we end up kind of gridlocked a couple of times and then he kept like spinning and I'm not really sure why. I don't know if he, like, thought he was going to do a spinning back kick, but then I was too close, or if he was trying to spin away from something. But I punched him in the back <laughs> both times that he spun. But then at the very end, right as the timer went off, I kicked very slowly, and he grabbed my foot. Mm. And you could just hear a big scream throughout the dojo, which was nice. mine. Yes. Mm. Okay. Um... I, I enjoyed sparring with Ken, and I enjoyed sparring with you. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken and I started off with supposed to be some kind of slow sparring, but you know how Ken is. <laughs> Our black belts tend to get a little bit hyped up. Well, they, you know, the Ken's defense. If your entire exposure to Kumite is blocked with a really quick reverse punch counter, mm-hmm. that's what you're exposed to. That's that's what you do. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to break that mm-hmm. that pattern and that reaction. So we were playing um who would who could uh flinch the best to make the other person react. <laughs> the flinch game. Yeah, so we were, you know, flinching a lot. Um then it became who could block better. Like, okay. Who who was not gonna let the other person slide in, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it was fun. Um I enjoyed sparring with you because it was like you said, it was the first time in a long time we got to to train together. Yeah, That's somebody awesome. somebody was onlooking, and I don't remember which kid asked. They're like, "Are you guys fighting?" I was like, "It's a sparring class, so yeah." I wasn't really sure what they were getting at. I don't know. Maybe they don't. They're not used to seeing higher belts to things a little bit different. But I obviously like am very um, <clears throat> out of touch because not only did you punch me in the ribs, which I don't think was your fault. I got nailed in the stomach so many times by so many different people because I was distracted by whatever else was going on, and then they would just end up nailing me in the gut every time. So that happened actually probably about five or six times. Maybe you practice your blocking. I was like, hey, this is this is probably a problem. Yeah, it is. This keeps happening. At least I didn't hit in the face. Yeah. But anyway. 
That was our cat that just hit the tripod. So if you see a little oh, shift I didn't in the see video, her. That's, didn't see that's our wonderful cat that decides that you know everything's a scratching post. The other the other one was um, <clears throat> one of our students, Colin. He um, I I think he's trying to get over this whole like I can't hit a lady thing, and which I totally respect. But you do have to spar women because we do have a number of teenage girls mm-hmm. out there, and then and then me. Um, so I sparred him like this with my fingers out. With one finger, index finger, pokey, pokey sparring. Mm-hmm. His parents thought it was hilarious, but I poked him a few times, mm-hmm. and then I sparred him for real. It didn't really go anywhere, but it's okay. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, I will say this in that sparring that I was somewhat of in a mood, and um, not like a negative mood, but like just a playful mood, mm-hmm. and cornered a couple of brown belts and just let wouldn't let him go anywhere. There you go. Would not let him go out. That's would the not good make stuff. Do, they wouldn't let him try anything. I just was. I right, was make them feel helpless. Menace and the smotherer. So yeah. any move, I was already blocking. Don't let them feel like they're learning anything. I don't know. Nope. Gotta, just let them feel. You got to reestablish that that dominance. Yeah. For a while. Establish the dom- dominance. That's actually what the sparring night is for. It's just for us to beat up our students. Yeah, it's a pecking order thing. It's yeah. to boost our egos and beat up on people. Oh yeah. For sure. For sure. Because that's what we do. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a hot minute since mm. we went over any um, peer-reviewed karate research. Mm. So um, I actually um, just searched karate <laughs> in in one of my search engines here. And um, actually, uh, the one that I came up with is from PubMed. And um, this study is called... And it actually plays along with some things I've been thinking about recently. That's why I decided we should talk about this one. But motor and cognitive, excuse me, motor and cognitive development: the role of karate by um, Alisi et al. And I think this is from twenty. It's twenty from from twenty fourteen. But it's not anything like that's um, decade relevant. Because just Time so you know, twenty fourteen was nine years ago, huh? Time sensitive. Yes, because the the tests like. Or not. Yeah. yeah, it's not a techno- technology-based thing. Um, so um, it was actually, it was dealing with children. So I know that it doesn't say that in the title, um, but it's actually talking about mo- uh, motor and cognitive development in children. Yeah. So um, if you have uh, worked in the um, exercise physiology world or you have any kind of degree in that, usually there's going to be some point in your studies where you're going to talk about the role of um, physical activity when it comes to children. The reason, One of the reasons we have PE or um, physical education or any kind of recess in elementary schools and, and middle school and high school um, is not just to get the energy out um, in children, but it's also because it goes hand in hand with their ability to um, perform better cognitively on cognitive tests. So, and that's been shown in like um, anecdotal um, situations. Like I think there was a school in Texas that had like regular recess like throughout the entire day and their test scores were like way, way higher because they got they gave kids the opportunity to not only like exercise, which helps with develop with their brain development, but also um, I think that task switching and having a break from so much stress of focusing on schoolwork actually made a big difference as well. That's not exactly what this is talking about, but that's just some background as far as um, there is a, some history with um, the, the role of physical activity and cognitive development. Mm. So it, this, that is mentioned here. Um, and this is, it's kind of mentioned here at the beginning, but they did this study on children and the average age was about nine years old. Um, I think 
from the looks of it, they range between like maybe like seven and a half to maybe like close to 11 years old. So they were around the same age range. Um, you do have to keep in mind that um, children change yeah. so fast cognitively whenever they're really young. Like that's the reason that we have such, why we have um, so many different age groups that we teach because like the difference between like a four-year-old and a six-year-old is huge. The difference between a six-year-old and a nine-year-old is huge. So, you know, they do have a pretty, pretty small range here of, of students that they're working with. Um, so what they did is these were, um, they had two groups. They had the karate group and then they had the control groups. These were students that didn't do any kind of karate. And then the ones that actually trained karate, they trained at least three times a week. And um, they emphasized in the study that uh, the students were, they, there was a little bit more focus on kumite. Mm. Um, they didn't mention kihon, but they did say kata and kumite are important. important. Mm. Um, but uh, the students are getting a lot of sparring kind of stuff. Tying it back in to our opener. Didn't even mean to do that. But it worked out. Hmm. So anyway, um, barely. Fine. It's not that hard. Just it's a karate podcast. We'll talk about fighting at some point. <laughs> yeah. um, so they said uh, nineteen karateka and then twenty sedentary uh, people. Yeah. So I don't. Think, I don't think it just means not only karateka, but more like kids that are just sitting around having yes. no activities at all. Not right. 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 That's... And and they could and when we get to the results, they could maybe have found similar results ish with students who did like probably any other sport but karate just i mean to an end but um what they did right. any other sport as in instead of karate mm -hmm. oh, okay. because of the, because of the nature of the testing that they did so the yeah. tests that they did were um they did a 20 uh, I, I think i think this is supposed to say meter 20 meter sprint test which was just so just a speed test an agility test which was really interesting because in um in normal like sports testing, there's this test called the T-test mm -hmm. where you sprint up, like I think it's like 20 meters up, and then when you reach that 20 meter mark, you sprint to the right 20 meters, and then you sprint, I'm oh, sorry, 10 meters, and then you sprint, sprint 20 meters to the left, and mm -hmm. then you sprint 10 meters back to the center and then run back, so it makes a T-shape. Mm -hmm. um, this one is it's very similar, except that, ex yeah, except that it was like, a, it was a cross, they said, Cardinal directions. Goes? Yeah, like a big X, but mm. not an X. It's like, like a T. Ultraman. Like a T. For yeah. those geeks that know Ultraman. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually ran up to the center point of the lowercase T, and then they ran to the plus sign, and then they ran to the right. But when they ran to the right, they actually um, hurdled over a 50 centimeter hurdle, and then they ducked under it to come back. And then I think they 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 turned to the right and went up and over the hurdle, underneath the hurdle. So they went over, landed, turned, came back underneath the hurdle, mm -hmm. came back to the center, and then went over to originally what would be the left side. And then same thing, over the hurdle, under the hurdle, and back. Must, which sounds like so much fun. Like, I would do that just because. <laughs> sounds like the test was given outside of America. This is the French, um, yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, because 50 centimeters, you said? Well, um, uh, research is usually standardized in the metric system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how tall was the thing? 50, uh, 50 centimeters. So, our fat asses, our... our <laughs> These are our, children! Our obese children would not be able to get through <laughs> that, that, that tunnel. <laughs> yes. We'd break the tunnel every time. We'd it's have not, to rebuild it. It's not a tunnel, it's a hurdle. 
we're gonna have to rebuild it every time. No, 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 no. These are made out of metal. Anyway, but they but they did this the agility test, which I thought was really cool and fun, and I would totally do it. Um, and then they did um, like a standing broad jump test. I don't know why it says board jump, but I think that was just poorly translated. Standing broad jump. He'll <laughs> do is a standing broad jump. Um, and then they did the cognitive. So that that was the athletic tests. Mm-hmm. And then the cognitive tests were. Uh, I can't remember them all, like, based on those descriptions, but it was, like, it was, like, one was, like, a page with a bunch of different, like, shapes or numbers or something, and you had to quickly mark off all the ones that didn't match, and then you had to keep all the ones that did match, and then there was another one that was, like, a recall test where they had, the tester had a block, and they pointed at, like, certain sides or certain numbers on the block, and you had to recall what the numbers were. the sequence of the numbers. Yeah, and I think there was, like, two two or three others actually did a bunch of those. Um... But they found that the Karataka scored better uh, across the board on yeah. all of the on all of the tests. So yeah. not just the physical the physical fitness exam tests, which obviously they scored better on that, um, but also on the cognitive tests. Mm-hmm. And you know, you would think, you know, these sedentary kids. We don't know if they were kids that play video games a lot. We don't know if they were just staring at a hole in the wall. I mean, we don't know anything about them. But I think sometimes there is this thought that if you spend more time focusing on um, schooling and education and things that don't require any physical movement, that somehow those types of learning are just going to take care of all the cognition. But this is saying the opposite. It's saying that um, getting in the physical activity actually does have a huge impact on on your um, mental development. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not trying to be like a, a bump on the log, but yeah. Basically, we're going to spend 20 minutes telling everybody what we already know and that karate is great for kids. No, I actually wanted to talk about something else related to this. Oh really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. This was just a supporting that's, thought. That's a dumb moment right there. Like, yeah, karate is great for kids. Well, but not it. everybody knows that though. Not everyone. Um, not everybody. Everybody that listens to us will know. Well, that. no, this knows it's great for kids, but for. For different reasons than you would necessarily think. Yeah, but it. How many different reasons do you really need, though? I mean. Well, let's go honestly. over the reasons that they gave. I'm gonna pull it up real quick. Okay. 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 See if I can find it. It's got numbers, and that helps. Not really. It does help. Executive functioning hypothesis. There it is. Okay, so to sum up, this is what it says. To sum up, karate. Ex- to sum up. Karate exercise may impact cognitive development through multiple pathways. One, neurophysiological by inducing changes in the brain structure, which we just talked about. Contextual by producing an enriched environment. So we've Mm -hmm. talked about that. We talk about that with our parents all the time. Like they get, you know, new experiences. Social by creating opportunities of social interaction, cooperation with others. Also known as community. Respecting rules, sharing leisure experiences, receiving the encouragement of peers. So all of the ins and outs. Basically what we've been saying. Being in a classroom, yes. I mean, that's what we base our dojo on, basically. Scrape up. And then motivational by increasing self-concept and self-awareness. Well, if you've been in my classes, you know we're not motivational. I mean, motivation can take many forms. It can be, Mm. it can be, you know, external. So my motivation is is mirrored off my father's angry. Being afraid is also (laughs) motivation. Fear-inducing, threatening of life. Basically, being afraid of losing game time is what it is. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Yes. We need to create more new games, though. The the dodgeball's getting a lot of hand. Crab crawl soccer, y'all. Ooh. Yes. 
Um, so, so they wouldn't really want to pay. Anything. So I've been thinking about this lately because we we had we had kind of talked about this too. That credit's great for kids. Mm-hmm. When parents come in, like especially with younger kids. Now this is under the age of nine that we're kind of talking, but so eight year olds. Also down to four years old because oh, I have four oh, and five year olds. Oh. Like I, whenever four and five year old parents, not the parents aren't four and five, but their kids are. When they come in, <laughs> when they come in with their parents of four and five year olds, when they come in, um, normally I tell them like, look, we we do some karate, but we have to spend a lot of time like going back and forth between work and play so that they understand class structure and task switching, and so that we. Um, you know, basically get used to actually being in a class and following instructions because just repping out karate stuff over and over again for a 45-minute class is a lot for a yeah. four- and five-year-old. Like, the actual karate time in that class is really, it really only accumulates about 10 minutes, yeah. which sounds terrible. And I used to think that. I used to think, like, oh, my God, like, you're, 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 you're paying for a class and other places. You're paying for a class that's only, like, 25 minutes or 35 minutes well, now, you know, consistently running a four- and five-year-old class, I can see why sometimes people will cut that class short, you know, and not make it super long. Ours is 45 minutes, but we incorporate a lot of different things. Right. Warm-up well, takes a while and yeah, all that kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. Well, it's a lot of activity, right? Mm-hmm. And that also gives you the opportunity for the child to, to, to have the social interaction, to mm-hmm. understand what's going on, to play, mm-hmm. things like that, that most kids don't have a lot of time to do any, anymore. Yeah. And, sorry. Oh, I'm just having Sometimes... Um, parents emphasize when they bring in their kids like well my kid has some aggression and I want them to learn how to hone that before it gets out of hand or they'll say well my kid really likes in quotes karate they play karate with their dad so I want them to actually learn the real thing okay and I'm not I'm not saying that's a bad goal but they are very young so while we are working that direction um we're gonna start somewhere that looks like a watered down version mm-hmm. of of what karate is oh yeah oh yeah yeah um, i have no problem saying that to anybody mm-hmm. um we've looked into it and we did our research and we know for a fact that the way we're going about our pro our approach of being able to not only teach these kids how to do karate, but teach them how to do the things they're not getting taught at, like how to behave in class, mm-hmm. understanding the work and, and play thing, and all those things that for the rest of their lives could help them, right? Right. So I have no shame, nor do I have any, I'm, I'm, I'm not even timid about it when I say to the parents, I just look them dead in the face, be like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Right. And, I, you know, if they don't like it, obviously they go somewhere else, it's, yeah. it's a free country, but... Um, Honestly, the one the parents that kind of let's, I'm gonna be real, um, some of the parents of these younger children that have ideas for their kids, like they're oh they're gonna do this, they're gonna do that, mm-hmm. they tend to be not the greatest parents for karate. Mm. Like they tend to have ideas of what it's supposed to be. Oh, okay, like they have it, preconceived notions. Preconceived of what... notions of what it's going to be about, and they don't want to even listen to us what we're offering, mm, okay. right? And then they get mad at us if we're oh well you don't do this. We told you. Right. You know? Like, we're up front about what... We're up front, so it's not like we're hiding anything. Yeah, so... And different. But the reason why I can speak that way with confidence is because as you go up in the age groups and up in skill, mm-hmm. 
there's an obvious transition oh, yeah. to where we're, it's like, this is what karate is. Oh, yeah. And there's no doubts about it, you know? So, yeah. You know. So this is kind of the thing I've been wrestling with over the past, like, year or so. We had a situation where, um, we've well, this has happened a few times, where we've had students come in and, you know, they're very young and they're in a young class and they're there for a short period, period of time and maybe they excel in the class. And before we have the opportunity to test the student, before we have the opportunity to offer them, like, hey, you could probably move up a class, even though the next class up is, is a, a older age, you're cognitively there so we can move you up. Before we ever have a chance to do that, you know, they're removed from the classes for whatever reason. Maybe their parents take them to a different martial art or they put them in a different sport because they feel like what they were learning in our situation was maybe not best for them or they had this expectation of what self-defense is supposed to look like and they didn't feel that our children's classes are teaching self-defense well that's been the thing that has i've wrestled with is 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 what what does what does self-defense mean i'm gonna say this Uh uh-huh your kid's four right so what kind of fights are they really gonna have to defend themselves in well and and i think i think just saying there is a lot of fear in parents because if if no, I, I, that is I, so ridiculous. I don't know if sometimes the parents are thinking of other kids as much as they're thinking of kids defending themselves against adults, which is even more unrealistic. Is right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, okay. So realistically, if a kid fights back, they do have some chance. Yes. More so than if they didn't. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. But the realistic, the very hard fact, and it's hard to swallow, uphill to swallow, is this. Mm-hmm. Physically, no. They have nothing they could do without to, to overcome someone that much bigger, more developed, more everything. If they have any, yeah. If if the, if uh, if the person has any kind of strength or any kind of right. fighting skill or anything. So so where my mind went with that. Okay, my bad. I just wanted to. Get no, you're good. Because like, we've like, talked about that before, and I think we've talked about it on the podcast as well. Because it is it is a little bit frustrating. Well, I mean, it's very frustrating actually. At the time, at the at the, t- the couple of times this has happened, it's been very difficult for me to deal with mentally, but. Um, so I attended this conference a few years ago, um, and it was put on by the National Strength and Conditioning Association, and the very first speaker is a strength and conditioning coach for the Army, and he was talking about how um, a lot of our military personnel, they don't, have, they don't have modern strength and conditioning practices. So they have like old school stuff that they've done for decades and decades that's never been modernized for, you know, today's situations, today's, um, battlefield, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's tons of research that's gone into injury prevention, into conditioning, into whatever that these men and women could be doing to ready themselves for the battlefield. And yet they aren't doing that because they're, it's either not made a priority by their branch of the military or they don't have access or whatever. And there was this, there was this line that he said, and I don't think there was a, I mean, we're at a, we're literally at a strength and conditioning conference, and I don't think there was a dry eye in the room, and he said that properly conditioning these military personnel is the difference between life and death for some of them. Because if, a, if, if some guy is escaping like a roadside bomb or something crazy and twists his ankle or like because he doesn't have the ankle, mobi- the ankle stability and the leg strength in order to get away, like he's toast. And that has, that has stuck in the back of my mind. And I watch like these young students that come in and 
the things we spend the majority of our time working on with young students, besides learning class structure, is basic coordination to be able to do the karate movements that we're asking them to do, just the basic movements, and then things like skipping or jumping. Like, they don't, they can't physically, if you think about a four-year-old or a five-year-old or someone that young, they physically don't know how to skip or to, like, jump or to, like, be any kind of springy, have any kind of speed, any kind of agility. They don't have it. And I think some teachers would look at that and they would say, well, then karate's not for them yet. Okay, then who's going to teach them that? Because a lot of those skills are learned skills. Like, either from observation, because you've been around enough groups of people skipping that you picked up how to skip, or somebody broke it down and taught it to you. And I've had students that it's, they've been in my classes for multiple years before they were able to skip. Mm. That sounds nutty, but there's also connections between your ability to keep rhythm when it comes to skipping, bear crawling, things like that that we do. All of those things are also related to, like, reading ability, cognitive development, that kind of stuff. So... We're saying all of this to say this. Get your kids to, outside and to, play with them. To, to teach a student oh, no, how that. to skip, to teach a student how to jump, to teach a student basic muscular coordination, that is the beginning of self-defense. Mm, there you go. The basic low-level low fundamental mm. skills of athleticism, that is the beginning of self-defense. Because mm. if the kid can't run, they can't <laughs> escape. If they yeah. can't jump over something, if they can't, mm. like, coordinate themselves enough to even, like, do a basic crawl or keep themselves off of the ground for any exterior... Like, we do, like, a crab crawl where they have to, like, have their hands behind them and crawl. Like, some of these kids don't have the strength to get their butts off the ground for right. any short right. amount of time. But stuff, basic stuff like that, like, that's the beginning stages of self-defense. Because self-defense is, is a little bit more, you know, yeah. Yeah. situational. But, um... I kind of had that realization recently, watching one of my students what? who I'm teaching how to jump. Why do I feel like I'm in the basement? Oh, that... Very, yeah, very basement-feeling kind of yeah. podcast statement there. It's yeah. Like, holy crap. Well, nice. I've, been, I've, been, I've been thinking about that really hard because I ha- we have, like, I have a... My four- and five-year-old's class has three students in it right now um, just because of when it's, when it's scheduled. So I have a five-year-old and I have two four-year-olds. And the five-year-old and one of the four-year-olds are very consistent. And the five-year-old, when he started, he couldn't skip. Mm. He was okay. He actually really couldn't coordinate his jumping very well. Like, I'm watching this kid after over, just over a year of training. He all of a sudden, like, he's figured out, like, okay, when I do a frog jump, I have to jump with both of my feet, not just, not just like, halfway with one of my feet. And when I skip, I have to like pick one leg up and I don't just hop on one foot. And like he's learning how to how to do like rhythm and stuff like that. And then now I'm watching the four-year-old go Pick, through the exact same yeah, thing. Yeah, picking it up off, off of him also though. Yes, he's picking it up off of the five-year-old. And then I, because I've now done this through multiple cycles, now I'm like creating circuits and drills and stuff that will teach him yeah, how yeah. to do this. So like the other day we did this circuit where... Um, we put the strike shields, spaced them out on the floor, and his job was not to jump over the strike shield because he couldn't physically do it. His job was to jump 
onto the strike shield and then jump off of the strike shield and then jump on, jump off, jump on, jump off. And at first he couldn't do it. But then after a few rounds of that, you know, and we're interspersing this with karate stuff too. After a few rounds of that, he was able to jump onto the thing, jump off the thing, jump on the thing, jump off the thing. That might sound really boring to anybody who's like not into um, athletic development stuff. Yeah. But I like I like to do this for a living, so and this is anybody fun Anybody that's in general, uh, who's a well, general, gen, gen, generation Z or generation X, what am I? What? What am I? Am I a... I don't know. What generation am I? I don't know. The one before millennials. All right. I'm the one before millennials. If you're <laughs> my generation and you're, you're going, what the heck are they talking about kids not knowing how to run, skip, and hop? Um, you need to connect yourself and understand what little kids do nowadays. Outside play yeah. is very limited. Yeah. Um, any kind of interaction, like the normal wrestling matches and stuff that as we did as kids and mm-hmm. all that, the craziness that we used to do is no longer a normal thing. Yeah. You know, it's they're very limited outside. They're very limited to a lot of physical activity, and it's it's hindering us in the long run, not and, only physically, but. And even if you have a student whose parent like makes them go outside, that doesn't mean that they have a lot of kids to interact with because that doesn't mean that other parents are making their kids go yeah. outside. So. so you know, even they're like they they're trying to learn spatial awareness and you know body awareness and stuff like that, but it's yeah. hard to do when you're by yourself. Yeah. So. So we're not pointing the finger as if these kids are, you know, developed or slowly developed. It's it's just that they're not exposed to it like we were as as children. You know, as I was children. I mean, we. I mean, I can remember as a child, four or five year olds. I was out all day long. Mm-hmm. Came in for snacks and sandwiches, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Was you made never, sure to get the snacks. That it was. If I was held in during the day in the summer, it's because I was in trouble. Mm. You probably had a lot of that. I did. Yeah. Had a lot of spankings, too. That's good. They they did him good. Good mm-hmm. spankings. Um, you know what's you inter- didn't have many of those, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> huh. I don't even want to get into, like, the like the few spankings that are on my mind. <laughs> it was usually, like, because I was in danger. That's when I got spanked. Like, I walked yeah. outside one time when my parents were cutting down a tree. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, anyway... Yeah, well, I, Stuff like that. I knocked over my dad's rifle one time. <laughs> oh, I would have definitely spanked you then. Yeah, <laughs> you'd have got one for sure. Anyway, um, but um, it's interesting because parents watching um, their their kid, a lot of the parents that are like engaged and they like they really want their kid to succeed and they they know what they they're catching on to what we're doing. They'll watch their kids and they're like, "Oh my god, my kid can't run it. My kid can't run in a zigzag." So they'll buy cones and stuff and make and them make practice it. at yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they're like, yeah. like, why can't my kid jump? Like, they don't realize, like, my kid can't jump. jump. Exactly. But it's because, you know, they, they're, they've they only had their kid for so many years, and they don't usually put them in that type of environment. Right. So because we're making them practice all of this kind of stuff, you know, now they've got... So we do, like, you know, these kids look at their little circuits as, like, obstacle courses. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, I was like, that is, like, the most McDojo BS ever. I used to, like hardcore judge the obstacle course teachers like that is so dumb like it would be fun but I was like it's not karate no it's not karate did you did you judge me when I used to do obstacle oh courses? heck yes I yeah, was like what is wrong with you why are you doing that crap yeah. they should be kicking and punching stuff yeah. and that is it nothing else yeah. um, but now I realize especially with younger kids I mean older kids can do it too but especially with the younger kids it, I realize it's a cop out when you do it with the older kids I'm gonna be honest well no, because some of them have never developed some of yeah. these skills. We have some 9 to 12-year-olds that can't skip. Yeah. Well, I, I should refrain it. My 9 to 12 intermediates. Oh, no. cop out then. Well, for them, it's just a fun thing. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. 
but but any beginner students um yeah. like you know we have, we have a bunch of those that that still can't even at that age Ooh. so you know incorporating a little bit of that a little bit of that when they're older is probably good um but especially whenever they're younger making sure that they're getting in you know not free play because it's structured but you know a little bit more ambiguity as opposed to the very strict structured like doing your your chokazuki, oizuki, whatever, and then doing all your blocks and your whatever. Like, we do all of that stuff, but adding yeah. in all of the other stuff where they can learn to coordinate on their own as opposed to having a very strict form. Um, we kind of go back and forth between the two, and that seems to be that seems to be working. Yeah. So I so that's, that's kind of what this podcast is about, is just, like, the fundamentals of athleticism is self-defense. It's mm. a start, anyway. Because um, if you don't have that part, the rest of it's going to be like, mm, you can poke somebody in the eyes if you're fast enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, still takes skill. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what you're working on? Um, what am I working on? It's still the, still the five punch, one step drill. Um, I stopped swinging my elbows like a hoodlum. Yum, yum, yum. I was punching. I was, I was like swinging my elbows out to the side. Mm. And I filmed it this week and it was a little bit better. Um, the timing of that's still very strange. I think I just need to to punch faster. I've been thinking lately. Yeah, don't. What? I've been thinking lately about, like, the past number of years. I've spent a lot of time, like, doing strength training. And, like, most of the time that, for most people, it doesn't necessarily slow you down. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast yet. But um, I think I just, I haven't done enough speed training I've done so much slow training to like fix a lot of my fundamental movement and then also the strength training on top of it that when we're in class and I try to go fast, like sometimes it seems like I'm going pretty fast, but recently, especially I'm like, I think I'm kind of slow. Like I've, I've slowed down a lot. I know. I mean, I know, I know I'm an old lady now. I've hit that 30 mark, hmm. but anyway, I need to do hmm. a little bit of speed training. I, I think... I think the faster you get, the less athletic it feels, thus you feel like you're slower. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, when you get your coordination down and, and you're driving the right way. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I felt like I was slow, but then when, I, when I'm when i against someone and I'm stepping and punch slowly, in my mind, I'm slow. Yeah. And these people react like, why are you going so fast? Or, you know, not to, I'm not saying I'm fast, I'm just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they react faster the wrong way think. and I'm just like, yeah. I'm going slow. Yeah. You know, because I think the, the thing about our approach about practicing the, the technique and patterns slowly to get it right mm-hmm. is that when you do that, you get kind of hyper aware of what you're doing. Yes. You know, like really aware of what you're doing, right? Yeah. So when you go fast, you still have that awareness. It's just you don't feel it that you don't experience it that way. Well. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I like, know that one of my problems right now is awareness to the point of like not just letting go and just doing the technique i'm overthinking for sure yeah dude i'm gonna be yeah that's a mental like a mental challenge yeah it's like you're the whole i'm afraid to do it fast because it'll be wrong i that's i guess that's what it is yeah it's yeah. like I want to make sure it's right, and I well, don't want to like, spend. All, yeah, I don't want to spend all this time trying to trying to hone a technique just to do it fast, and then it'll like shit. Yeah, but then the good thing is though, by honing your technique, you know it looks like shit. You like without a doubt it looks like a shit, like shit. So that's the basis of improving it, even at speed. 
What? <laughs> to to know that you suck. <laughs> okay. Gives gives you the foundation <laughs> yeah, to yeah, make yeah. improvements. Yeah. Is that better? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not well, saying I mean, you suck, but I mean like. Jeremiah just told me that I suck on this yeah, podcast. She, she what a jerk. She's horrible. You suck. What are you working on? What am I working Sucky on? Sucky suck face. I'm on. <laughs> I'm working on suck suck face. <laughs> Jesus. Really? Um. Actually. Um. I'm still doing the five punch one stuff. I want to make that the cover photo. That oh, face God. that you just made. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, uh, as I've been working on Gonkaku along mm. with the five step. Mm. And I've been kind of shifted to focusing more on the Gonkaku stuff. I just want everyone to know that he just said the five step. Like the five step one punch combo. <laughs> like did the I? jousting. Yes, you did. You said five step. <laughs> like, a, like the one step five punch. <laughs> combo <laughs> okay right yes I, I would like to everybody know that she poisoned my mind with that because i just keep, five just step, keep saying punch. it i probably said it on this podcast i just keep saying it over and over five again. step one punch yeah. <laughs> can someone please put that in their syllabus please <laughs> we should put it in there for like we should put it in our syllabus it's oh like when does the punch come in what is the timing is it the <laughs> second step is it the last yeah. step is it like how fast can you move your feet before that punch comes out? Is it faking out your partner all and then punching stuff. at the end? It's all of it put together. Depends. Personal interpretation. Yeah. Artistic interpretation. Uh, but yeah, just working on the one-legged kind of strengthening and posture and mm. trying to get my balance better. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a tendency to lean forward on my side snap kicks. Um, and Straight I've been working, up. working on trying to keep my posture upright the entire time. Straight up. It's amazing how much better the path is for the kick. Like it's mm-hmm. less... Less um, tension or impingement, I guess is the word for it. No, mm, feels like the joints there's, there's, like there's, working there's, against you. Yeah, because when you lean forward, you actually change the muscle the muscular action. Okay. So if your pelvis goes with you when you lean forward, it's more of like a like a horizontal abduction kind of movement yeah, where your legs yeah, like going yeah, sideways, yeah. as opposed to when you're upright, you're actually just doing just normal abduction. So you've got you probably have and probably have more range of motion in the joint if you're more upright. That's probably what makes it feel easier. Being upright, you mean? Upright, yeah. Yeah. Now, if you lean over, no, you ha- you ha- like talking. to the su- yeah. away from it, you have even more range of motion, but then you'll fall on your head. Yeah, I'm not maybe even hit something. About that. So don't I do that. what I do now is I hip hinge and then. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like rotate sort yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, trying to avoid good. that. I've always known that about my side snap kicks that I lean forward. Mm-hmm. It's just I didn't figure out how to do it yet. And Gonkaku, the way the, the moves are, mm-hmm. it forces you to be upright to even be on the one foot, right? And then if you, when you go to kick, if you feel yourself go forward, it's ob- It's like anytime, painfully obvious. Anytime you have that back fist layered on top of the side snap kick. Yeah. You start leaning forward and everything's like out of position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So. That's, you know, that's what I'm working on. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, that wasn't a super eye opening study, but at least least it confirmed our own cognitive bias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We should do an episode on cognitive bias. Anyway, all right. Well, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.